what I do is just educate the circus world on, you know, what, why are the biomechanics of the shoulder important to know when you are a hanging athlete and a dancer, because you can't just bring over every aesthetic component of one world to the other. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. Um, this is your host again, Aaron LeBauer. Today, my special guest is Jen Crane from Cirque Physio, and Jen is a physical therapist and um, circus performer, dancer, uh, aerialist, and she does some really cool stuff. Um, reconnected with her recently, and I was like, I got to have her on the show to share what she's doing. So, Jen, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, awesome. Well, it's been a few years. We were just discussing it back in 2016 when we first connected, and I think even like probably on Twitter. You were living in San Francisco at that time. Is that you're not still there? I don't think. Are you? No. Yeah. At that time, I was living in San Francisco. I had just returned from living in China for a year, working with mm -hmm. the Olympic teams, and I returned to San Francisco and was like, "Well, I think it's time to take my practice to." the next telehealth level. And yeah. I think that's how we initially, uh, one of the ways we initially connected with um, your like consults and doing all of that. So mm -hmm. yeah, a lot has changed since then. I've um, had my practice the whole time. And then last year, actually about a year and a half ago now, I switched over to being exclusively online based. And yep. now I live in Montreal in Canada. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you, um, so you're a you're a physical therapist. You've got a, a basically like you have like an in-person cash practice, but now you're all like video telehealth training. When did so you started back in 2016? Was that is that right? I started, I opened my practice late 2014 okay. in San Francisco and yeah. just kind of got everything started before I got offered this contract to go to China. Um so I had just oh. gotten started and then left. And then okay. when I was in China, I started um I was a little bit more, I made more of an effort to be online on Instagram. Yeah. I had my blog. So I did that and then got a fair amount of, uh, I guess, a, a larger following from that because mm -hmm. there was a big need in the circus community for people who do what I do and understand what circus artists, uh, you know, all of the demands that are placed on our bodies that are different right. than mainstream athletes. And um, yeah, so then when I got back to the U.S., I had a lot of inquiries for telehealth and Skype sessions and was like, all right, I guess that's what I'm doing next. So that, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, what were you doing before? Were you like, did you do, did you like, do like grow up in the circus? Did you do this like travel thing? And like, you know, the, the vision I have for, you know, people's like, oh, they did homeschool while they were on the road. And then somehow you went to PT school. Can you maybe go back and give us like the, you know, how'd you, how'd you end up as a PT story? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up doing ballet. I was in performing arts really my whole childhood mm -hmm. and then took a break when I went to college. I was pretty burnt out and ready for a change. Um, so then I kind of took a break for most of my 20s while I was in doing undergrad and in PT school. And then after PT school, I um, uh, did a residency because, you know, like many new grad PTs, I was like, I still don't know anything. And I know that I want to specialize in sports um, right. or in sports orthopedics. And I am um, also an athletic trainer. So that was my undergrad and my background there. Um, but then I did my residency and then my first job after the residency was actually at the army Baylor PT school in San Antonio, um, okay. which is where I, ironically, that was the first job that I'd ever had that I had time like weekends and nights off that I wasn't just, you know, in a residency and working 3 million hours a week. So I was like, well, I kind of need a hobby. What am I going to do mm -hmm. with all of this extra time on my hands? Um, and I ended up stumbling upon circus arts at a rock climbing gym. And then, you know, that I have enough of a background in performing arts that that was really, um, that was really interesting to me. And it was different enough from dance that I was, you know, 
I'm pretty excited about that. Mm-hmm. So I really just dove right into that world and that community and ended up wanting to, um, after my contract at Army Baylor DPT was over, I ended up moving to San Francisco to further my training as a circus artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I did a little bit of travel PT kind of along the way there. Um, but yeah, I worked as a travel PT when I first moved to San Francisco and then found that there was just this huge need in that uh, niche and was like, I guess I'll do it. I never, ever wanted to be a business owner. Like I was the kid in PT school who was like, I just want to work and I want to work in a clinic. I want to be like the worker bee, go in, see patients, go home. And that was really all I wanted. Um, But when I found this demographic and given my background and understanding of kind of what they needed from every, Mm -hmm. you know, from a physio perspective and also from a strength and conditioning and circus perspective, I was like, well, I mean, I guess I'll give it a shot and see. And I absolutely loved it and can never, ever imagine going back to a normal PT job. That's really awesome. You know, one of my uh, friends, or actually my wife's friends, uh, Jesse, was at the circus school in San Francisco. We lived there and left there in 2004. um, Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, out in the sunset or close to like upper height. Is that kind of where you um, practiced and worked out? Yeah, that was where I trained. Um, I moved there to go train with the trapeze coach at that school at the Circus Mm -hmm. Center in San Francisco. And yep, so that was actually where I also, um, I rented a room from them and that was where my practice was and I had the physical location. Oh, awesome, awesome. So what is it, like, so you come from a background in dance, right? Performing arts, Mm -hmm. like, so what was it about, circus arts or what was the what were the uh active like i don't know what you call them like are you what were you doing is in circus like what was the difference like physically in your body like what did it do for you um Mm -hmm. that you were like wow this is great i gotta keep doing more like what is it about it because i don't even i don't understand too much and Mm -hmm. i'm sure some other people are like oh yeah i would love to know what it is like that you feel or that makes that distinction between like CrossFit athlete and a circus athlete. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, the first thing that was really interesting to me was, you know, this is very clearly a subset of of athletes, artists, athletes that Mm -hmm. um, not only need just an insane amount of strength to do aerial silks or acrobatics or whatever their primary discipline is, but there was also, I mean, I was really interested in just the aesthetic component too, and really loved the idea of marrying what I knew about biomechanics and the way that the human body works and how to optimize the human body Mm -hmm. for performance and kind of integrating that into circus culture. Because before, I mean, I saw that there was just such this disparity in biomechanics and what other physios and healthcare providers would tell these artists. And then what I saw as a student in um, in this demographic, so yeah, I was just I was really intrigued by um, just how much circus artists have to use their bodies. And I had been at the time when I found circus, I was a distance runner, so I had like I was very much had like the running body where all of my muscle mass was in my legs, and I had just like these tiny little chicken arms that did absolutely nothing. Um, and when I started training circus, I thought it was so fascinating because I'm a person who never like I it's so slow for me to gain muscle and that process Mm -hmm. is so slow and strength has always been really hard for me Um, but I saw that that was happening on me and I thought that that was just so cool and so interesting and it also just gave me such such an such a cool insight into that into this population of performing artists so I was really intrigued by that and I loved uh, just kind of learning more. And then every time I would learn a new skill as a circus artist, mm-hmm. I saw how, like how much of a carryover this would have into my patients and the people that I was working with. So wow. yeah, that was, that was the main draw. I feel like most people, you know, we hear that we only use 10% of our brains mm-hmm. and I feel like there's that correlation to our bodies as well. And I feel like circus artists use way like a just way higher percentage of their body's capacity than even like a normal mainstream athlete. Right. Is that because they have to have strength at like all these extreme ranges of motion or just skill? Is there something specific you think that drives that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just the the fact that there's such a heavy emphasis on the aesthetics of like the movement quality mm-hmm. and also the things that you have to do are just crazy. I mean, <laughs> to be on your like on a trapeze 50 feet above the ground and hanging from one arm and doing all of these 
very like uh, gymnastics rings esque strength skills while also you know looking like you have control of your movement and like having it be something that is beautiful for other people to watch like I, I thought that that was so cool yeah, it's not so specifically, it's not about the uh, quantity of the movement. It's the quality of it as well in circus. Yeah, like, which is, you know, I mean, not the same in CrossFit. <laughs> right? No, it's not. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, burping until you die. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> what, um, what do you think is the biggest um, kind of misconception or maybe, maybe not misconception, what's the biggest fault that most people have or that most of your circus athletes have encountered when they're injured, going to see someone who doesn't understand what they do. Like what's the, what's the thing that is missed commonly or, or mm. that you've heard so many times you're like, that's kind of crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, it's generally the story that everyone tells me and that I've also experienced as a patient going mm-hmm. to try to find a fault, like a PT who wouldn't just tell me to stop. Um, most of, most of the healthcare providers just don't understand what circus artists have to do. They've never, or maybe they've like seen a Cirque du Soleil show, but they don't really know what that involves, but they know that it's, you know, involves very extreme ranges of motion and like high levels of flexibility. And because there's not, there's just such a scarcity of research in this demographic specifically, even in performing arts with dance and gymnastics, there's not nearly as much research as we have on other mainstream sports. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they don't have, we don't have that research to fall back on a lot of PTs just are very scared about thinking outside of the box and saying, okay, like let's troubleshoot a way that you can train safely or like let's figure out what's going on so that we can rehab you back to where you need to be. And to kind of cover their own butts, they just say like, okay, just stop what you're doing or rest. Or like, if you do this, you will break yourself by the time you're 35. Um, And I just thought that that was so, I, I thought that, that was incredibly, uh, and like there's just such a lack of creativity and the willingness to think outside of the box, even a little bit. That that was that's the, still the most frustrating thing for me to hear. That yeah. we're just as a profession not willing to entertain the concept of somebody being outside of the mainstream uh, right. athletics. They don't fit the they don't fit the cookie cutter mold, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, how do you bake a cookie at two twenty five? <laughs> and expect right? it to come out delicious, right? So exactly. what are the what are the common um what what are the like common injuries that you see? And I guess maybe it depends on the discipline, right? But mm-hmm. what would be some of the common injuries or problems you see that you know I might not see doing general orthopedics or chronic pain? Yeah, there's definitely a huge probably the number one region to be injured that I see is the shoulder. Um mm-hmm. and this is mostly I mean, across the board in acrobats and aerialists, but especially with aerialists, because again, there's this emphasis on aesthetics and a lot of the aesthetic um, history and background with circus and with aerial is rooted in ballet. And the biomechanics of the upper extremity in ballet are very different than the biomechanics of the upper extremity in any sort of weight bearing athlete, including like a hanging athlete. So Mm -hmm. there, I see people trying to bring this shoulders down and back, long neck cue over to trapeze and to different aerial apparatus. Um, And if you bring your shoulders aggressively down and back while you are hanging and doing dynamic work, like that will give you shoulder impingement and rotator cuff injuries very quickly. So a lot of it is just based on um, this uh, correlation between aesthetics and uh, the mechanics of skills in the aerial world. And so that's so much of what I do is just educate the circus world on, you know, what, why are the biomechanics of the shoulder important to know when you are a hanging athlete and a dancer, because you can't just bring over every aesthetic component of one world to the other. Yeah. So that's a lot of what I do and what I see. Yeah. That makes sense. So like in ballet, my upper body is non-weight bearing and it's just kind of mm-hmm. hanging out, making me look good or helping me move my uh, the partner or whoever else. Mm-hmm. But if I'm tumbling, you know, hanging from a, a beam or something, it's a, it's supporting my body weight at the same time yeah. and the muscles yeah. have to do something completely different. Right. Exactly. It would be like if a, if an Olympic weightlifter, when they had weight overhead, if they brought their shoulders down and back, like you never mm-hmm. see that, right. That's yeah. just not part of technique in that world. And it just has had this 
crossover that doesn't necessarily do much good. <laughs> right. Do you like, does your advice in that regard, like end up butting heads with the coach or are they like, no, you got to keep doing this. And Jen's like, well, if you keep doing that, it's going to keep irritating your shoulder and you're not going to be able to perform. Is that a problem or are you able to work around Yeah, that? that was definitely a big consideration in the early part of my career when I, I mean, mm-hmm. when I was just getting started and people didn't really know who I was or why I was qualified to be doing what I was doing in circus. Um, that yeah, a lot of the coaches would kind of look at me weird. And I, I was always very careful to, I guess, from like a, from the perspective of the community, I always was a circus artist first in the circus world. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to do more work and just like show that I was, you know, rehabbing all of these coaches, uh, students really efficiently and much, mm-hmm. much more effectively than they had seen in other with other providers, then they started to have a lot more buy-in as far as like, okay, so what were you telling me about that shoulder thing? Okay, so I shouldn't cue them for down and back. What should I cue them for? So I did, I mean, the first several years of my career was just like showing, like practicing, like fixing people or helping people fix themselves and then letting that speak for itself. So there was a lot of that initially. Yeah. Was there a, um, you have to prove yourself in some way, you know, like you got to be able to stand on a peanut and balance for 30 seconds (laughs) and do all these crazy things type of stuff that you had to do? Or is it like, are you competitive or was it just like you were in the community and training long enough that people started to trust you? It was more that I was in the community and I mean, I've always, I, I feel like there's such a huge stereotype of PTs. I think especially in early in the cash PT world yeah. where there was this, you know, people were starting to do this more often. And I think I heard about this most in CrossFit gyms or CrossFit boxes where, you know, a PT would go in guns blazing, like I'm the best physio, I can fix everyone, blah, blah, blah. And like that just doesn't, from a community and culture perspective, that is not how you earn the trust and respect of, of, you know, anyone. And so I, I was just very aware of that initially. And I wanted to not only prove myself as a healthcare provider, but also as a student and that, you know, I was committed and committed not only to my circus practice, but also to helping the community on a, on a larger scale. So that was, I always went in with the mindset of respect first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people would slowly start to ask me more questions and yeah. then I could show them a little more of what I, what I could do. Awesome. What were specifically, were there, um, was there anything that you did early on that really got your foot in the door? You know, like any strategy um, tactic that you used, you know? Not really, to be honest. I mean, I think that it was different too, because like I said, I didn't really want to, I never wanted to be a cash PT owner. I never wanted to mm-hmm. have a business. Um, so I didn't really go in with like a strategic mentality. Um, but what did end up happening was, you know, when I first moved to San Francisco, I worked with, um, I had all the other students in my classes and people would come up to me when they like heard that I was a physio and be like, Hey, so I have the shoulder thing. And then, you know, I would just give them a couple, like very quickly look at them, give Mm -hmm. them a couple exercises. And then they were like, wow, these are really great exercises. And what you said makes a lot of sense. And then word spreads really quickly. And uh, in small communities like this. So I just started doing that. And then I, I think the next thing that I did was I had, um, I did workshops for different schools and studios and, mm-hmm. um, just, I mean, I, I don't, I never did a workshop for free, but they were, they started off very low cost. Yeah. Um, so I, I figured I, I also needed to prove myself. And, um, so I would just do workshops for shoulder injury prevention or working with coaches to help incorporate a little bit better, injury prevention into their classes. Uh, and then that, that when I started doing workshops, that's what really kind of made everything take off quite quickly. Awesome. Awesome. How did, when you did a workshop, how did you get people to become your patient after that? Or was it just like, did you have like a plan or was it just like, Hey, we're going to do this workshop and you taught something and people were like, wow, that was really great. I need your help. Yeah, it was that. And I, I never like, I, I think I'm so along with many PTs, school students I was so averse to really like being very salesy with it and also I saw that you know when you had to really push your product or your service on people there's not as much of a buy-in so I really like it was really important to me that by the time people asked 
you know, do you, are you taking new patients right now? They were invested and they were at a point that, you know, they could commit to their rehab process. And that was really what changed like absolutely everything is when they saw, you know, they'd come to my shoulder workshop and hear me talking about these things. They'd be like, okay, so this is really cool and helpful for my shoulders. I also have this low back thing. Like, what do you, like, do you, can you see me? Are you available this week? And, and that was when it really started to, to get, get more traction. Awesome. That's awesome. Do you like from a lot of the dancers, performance artists I know, or people I know who treat in those um, populations, even from living in San Francisco. I mean, I know that people will move to San Francisco, move to New York Mm -hmm. because they've got this passion they want to follow. And, you know, like I'm eating tofu uh, because I couldn't afford to buy chicken. (laughs) You know, I couldn't, but I'm trying to race my bike, but I would, you know, I know I would have gone through and paid anything to be able to be stronger and faster. But I can see a lot of people going, well, he's eating tofu and rice aroni because he can't afford it. He obviously can't afford to come see me for PT. Um, and I'm sure I know a lot of dancers, I mean, in performance arts, like barely even when I was in San Francisco in late late 90s, early 2000s, were, could barely afford to live there. And um, yet I know they're coming to you know see you, they're paying for circus school. I mean, those are things that they value. Mm-hmm. So. Did you find that there were there were people saying um, no, I can't afford to see you at a certain point? And do you know like what their objections were and how you overcame that? Yeah, I mean, definitely the performing arts community and the circus community specifically is not a community that is rolling in expendable cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I, I mean, I started out like many of us do by you know significantly undercharging for my services. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was a lesson that I had to learn as a business owner. And, you know, I changed that and increased my price as, you know, I also increased my exposure and people started to hear about me and, um, and seek appointments more often. But it was really, I really learned that like people, especially circus artists and performing artists or anybody who cares about their physical performance, like they are willing to spend the money on things that will work. And that was something that, I mean, I would have never, it's hard, that's hard. It's a hard lesson to learn if you don't live through that that, or experience that. So that was something that I definitely started to see a lot of, but something that I do a little bit differently, or I did when I had the, my kind of brick and mortar practice was I really only ever saw people no more than once a month. Mm -hmm. And I let them know upfront that like, this is how my evaluation is. Um, kind of laid out. Like I know that you don't have it. Like we both live in San Francisco. It's expensive. We everyone needs to you know be careful with their money. So kind of the practice model that I started to adopt was I would see patients once. It would be about an hour and a half evaluation, and uh, the rest of well, it would be probably like a forty-five minute evaluation, and then the rest of the time would just be spent going through all of the exercises um, that they were currently doing tweaking them, giving them new drills, and then really laying out a training plan for them to follow. Mm -hmm. And I put together like the most thorough handouts. Like I did my own thing. I didn't use HEP to go. Like I, there were no drills that were just like, kind of like the copy paste things because this is such a a community that really needed more specificity than that, than was available on those types of programs. Um, So I spent a lot of time putting these programs together for people and then the cool thing was because they invested in, you know, that appointment, they were really invested in doing all of the work associated with it. These are already people who are doing their training for hours and hours and hours every week. So to add in another, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of programming is not a huge deal for them. So I really only would see people once a month. I mean, very rarely would I see them more often. And it was almost exclusively exercise based Mm -hmm. because this was a demographic that doesn't have a ton of cash, but will pay money for things that they believe will help them and they will do their homework. So I was really lucky in that regard to have a population that was so motivated in that Mm -hmm. respect. That's awesome. Were there enough circus performers in San Francisco to keep you busy? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there are a lot of circus artists. And yeah. I, I mean, I did the thing too in the beginning where I um, I worked for, I did per diem work in a home care mm-hmm. agency nearby so I could supplement when I needed to. But I, 
I really felt quite strongly about growing my practice organically and not being really pushy with sales. Yeah. Um, which worked great That's for, awesome. for me for that experience. Was there like something that aside from just working PRN or having a job and being, you know, like practicing your disciplines in the circus, like, was there a reason that you said, okay, I got to do this on my own. Like I got to, you know, like start mm-hmm. my own business because if you didn't go into it wanting to start your own business, like what was the thing that pushed you into it? Yeah, I think I just saw, I, by that time I knew that I didn't really want to work 40 hours a week in a normal clinic. I didn't want to do the patient mill thing. And I also saw that I, I was able to foresee the issues that would come with seeing this demographic in an insurance-based clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess I have enough of like a stubborn do it yourself mentality that I was like, no, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the way that I want to on my own terms. And I don't want to be managed by anyone for this population. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. And before you left to go, so you started your practice and went to China, like, Mm -hmm. like at that time, were you seeing a lot of people a week and you left it or were you just seeing a few people here and there and then you went out of town? Yeah, I, I was probably at about 20 patients per week, uh-huh. which I was pretty happy with. I, I was seeing 20 patients in my clinic per week and every night, like I was really winding down with the PRN home care work. Um, but yeah, I was kind of just like, I hope this isn't a huge mistake to leave this for a year yeah. because I don't think I can say no to that opportunity. But I mean, when I got back everything, it, actually was one of the best things that I did for my career because it forced me to go online and find my circus community there Mm -hmm. and still do the same kind of education work that I was doing one-on-one in San Francisco. And then that's really what opened up way more doors when I came back to San Francisco because people knew who I were. They had read my blog and everything had circulated around the circus world and the social media community. And, um, and then that's, I mean, when I got back and people started, you know, asking for more about like, okay, well you talk about injury prevention, but like you also talk about flexibility and how to get flexible in a more safe manner. Mm -hmm. So like, can you do flexibility work with me? Can you do like flexibility coaching? And I ended up um, from all of that, all of those inquiries, just putting together uh, my first online like ebook flexibility mm-hmm. program. And then when I started to sell those more passive income products, that's when it's everything started to really take off. And I saw a huge change in my business and my visibility and kind of the amount of people that I was able to reach and yeah. help through that. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So what was the, what was in China? Was it like working with like, I know some people have worked with their national team or was it, you know, like a specific circus there or what was so enticing mm-hmm. about making that move, you know, yeah, it was um, with the Chinese Olympic teams. Yeah. So they, how it worked is the Chinese government hired um, a company out of LA, like a sports medicine company in LA mm-hmm. to staff all of their um, sports medicine for, uh, for physio, for strength yeah. and conditioning and kind of all of those adjacent uh, fields. So I actually don't really, I don't remember how this guy found my name, but he, he emailed me one day and he was like, hey, I'm hiring for the Chinese Olympic teams. <laughs> it's like, this is the contract. I see that you work with circus artists and like, that tells me that you're probably pretty um, <laughs> flexible in the kind of working with different cultures mm-hmm. sense. Um, so he was basically like, do you want an interview? Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. And it was also nice because I would have had a much harder time being able to take that job if I worked for a clinic Mm-hmm. because I think it was such a fast turnaround time. It was like I had the interview and then like a month later I was in China. So I wow. wouldn't have been able to do that in a normal clinic. That's crazy. So yeah. you go to China and then was that when you started your blogs and started writing about all this stuff? Cool. Yeah, I was so, which this is kind of ironic, but I went to China and I was often just so bored because so much of the work was sitting and like watching weightlifting practice and that's really not exciting (laughs) at all or like ping pong is really big in China so I spent a lot of time with the ping pong team and I just don't love ping pong right so I was you know at practice and there was a lot of downtime and I was like well I guess I'll start a blog 
Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So that was like what, 2015, 14-ish? That was 2016 because it was right before okay. the Rio Olympics. Yeah. yeah, okay. Awesome. And then you come back and so... Mm-hmm. Or Peter, you, you you said you created an ebook. Was this like a free one? Was this something you were selling? You know, and yeah, how'd you come up with the idea to create it? Um, it was a uh, not a free product. Yeah. I at that point I'd been pretty active on Instagram and social media for a while, so people kind of already had that buy-in of okay, mm-hmm. like I like the way that this person teaches and the things that they say are interesting and different, and this seems to. You know, the couple exercises seemed to work really well for me. So I already had that buy-in. Um, and then I just had a bunch of people asking for like, hey, are you going to like ever do workshops on this or like sell like flexibility programming online? And actually the thing that like was the incentive for me was my dog um, actually got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder mm-hmm. and I had all of these crazy vet bills and I was like, I cannot pay off these vet bills like in my 20 patients per week clinic. Like why need something more for this? And so I ended up, I mean, by the time I sat down to write this book, it was like, I had already had all of the programming and concepts and exercises floating around in my brain mm-hmm. and I'd worked with um, many different patients on this type of performance optimization. So I sat down and hammered it out in a week and put it up on my website. And I just remember so vividly, like the next morning I put it up before I went to bed and I went to bed, like fully expecting nothing to happen and maybe to have sold like a couple copies. Um, And it was for the circus community. It was a more expensive product. I think I put it up initially for $80 Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like a splits active flexibility guide. Um, and I remember waking up and checking the website and being like, oh my gosh, I just paid rent overnight (laughs) in San Francisco. This is nuts. So it was really like, that was super, that was really cool. And that's awesome. My dog really appreciated it. So well, like a couple dozen people bought it overnight or something. Do you remember? Yeah, there were, I mean, oh gosh, I, my rent at the time, I was living in like this tiny little shoebox apartment in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. My rent was $1,500 a month. So it was. I like made that overnight and I was like, oh my gosh, that was like such a big number for me at the time. And I was just like, yeah. this is crazy. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. That's a, uh, you know, that like, well, I didn't pay nearly that much when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rent is, and that was cheap. Like that was a really good deal, yeah. which is insane. But isn't it awesome to wake up and be yeah. like, holy cow, I just, you know, paid rent while I was sleeping. Yeah. It was mind-blowing yeah what are you doing like have you created other courses or products since then Mm -hmm. yeah so since then i i put out like a whole um like series of those active flexibility programs Mm -hmm. so i had one for pretty much every component of flexibility that performing artists cared about so i did that i had those up for several years and then i got to the point where i was like okay i want to revamp everything that i'm doing online and the online flexibility work so I spent about a year um, planning and programming the next, uh, my next flexibility kind of website online program, Mm -hmm. um, which came out two years ago, just about two years ago. Um, And so that's really what I've been doing uh, ever since is really focused on, it's called MyFlex. It's um, much higher tech programming where it's like a proper website and there's a lot of different like it's an educational resource with a ton of different videos for um, kind of educational concepts behind everything I do with marrying physio and biomechanics with, um, with circus and with flexibility. So it's like a huge website that's um, that ends in basically like a self-assessment that people are guided through and then they submit their uh, assessment scores. And Mm -hmm. then I put together a program for them. So that's what I've been doing mostly for the past three years. And then I also have um, recently started another company with a professional contortionist who's one of my uh, good friends here in Canada. And we've been doing um, kind of putting together uh, more more types of flexibility, uh, educational resources for contortionists and yeah. circus artists. So Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. So is that program one that uh, is kind of self-paced and people go through it or do you kind of actively participate or guide them through parts of it? Mm-hmm. So it's basically the way that I have it set up is they, um, when, once they purchase the program, they create a login, they sign in, they watch all of the first videos and it's very self-paced at the, through most of it. Um, 
they the self-assessment is quite time intensive so they mm -hmm. kind of do that at their own pace and then once they submit their flexibility photos and their assessments then you know i go through and i look at everything and i put them put their program together and then i send it over to them um or it kind of pops up on their online flexibility portal um, and then they it basically has like the all of the programming information and the ways that they can integrate that into their training and then it's self-paced entirely from then on so most of the work for me is just in after they send in their assessment and their information and putting together those programs mm -hmm. cool is that something that people can get access to at any time or is it something that's only open like certain periods of the year yeah it's only i do a closed enrollment so i open uh, three times a year for that and i'm actually in the process of expanding it right now which is exciting and very terrifying because we yeah. were just talking about how you know hiring people is always a process and right can i i have i haven't hired people to work in this capacity before so this mm -hmm. is scary but very fun and very exciting and i have some some really awesome coaches that i've uh, hired to do the assessment on the individual students because that was the biggest point of feedback that i was getting is it was you know the assessment is confusing and takes a long time and people would procrastinate and then they mm -hmm. wouldn't get their flexibility program and so i basically just decided to incorporate a skype or like a zoom assessment into the yeah. cost of the program so i'm doing that right now which is exciting but also you know scary <laughs> right right awesome so what you're doing is kind of you're you're hiring out some other people to help with those kind of initial assessments for all the people in enroll yeah and i yeah. i'm i'm hiring both pts and non-pts mm -hmm. the, the people that i was really looking at to to hire for this were the people who followed me for a long time and you know are really interested in the educational component and yeah. a lot of them are coaches in varying capacities in the circus worlds that are you know always interested in learning more and integrating these different ideas and thoughts into their training so yeah. it's it was great i mean i already by the time i got to the point where i was like okay i need to hire people if i want to keep expanding i already had such a clear idea of the people that i wanted to contact to have as mm -hmm. part of this team so i awesome. was really lucky there are you doing all the like technical back-end stuff or you have other people that you've hired to do those kinds of things absolutely not <laughs> i do nothing with websites or anything involving more than like posting to instagram i have hired out i did that initially with my website and it was just it's not something that i enjoy it's not something i'm good at yeah. so i finally was just like okay i'm just gonna hire someone to do all of this tech stuff for me and it was such a good decision <laughs> yeah that's awesome was there a point at which you were like i can't possibly hire someone to do this next thing or did you ever get stuck like have you gotten stuck somewhere along the line in business growth and yeah i think that i was definitely stalled the most in the period right before the past month really mm -hmm. when i was like okay i'm gonna expand i'm gonna hire people i'm gonna try to actually grow this to be bigger than it can be with just me so that i was yeah. stalled there for i mean i had this program for two years and it was it's great and it's like i had a really good time with it but it's also I, I did reach that point where i was like okay this is sustainable and i can keep doing this but there's also a need for more and mm -hmm. there were more people signing up and on the wait list than i could let into the program so right. It's like, well, this kind of makes sense to do at this point. I'd had the program for two years. I'd had a lot of good feedback from my current students and knew what direction I needed to take it. But it's just, it's so hard to hire someone who is going to be so closely associated with the brand that you've worked on building and growing for what it was like six or seven years mm -hmm. now for me at this point. So it's, that was really scary. There's just like, all right it's time got to do it yeah so. awesome congratulations that's so cool so um but no one in the circus can perform right now <laughs> right yeah it's we're getting very creative with the what performing and what being a circus artist looks like right now with covid yeah. so there's i mean a lot of people are doing like these online cabarets and online shows um and it's actually really cool to see i mean it's obviously sad and everyone misses performing and having those live performance opportunities, but um, circus artists are doing some really cool things with doing, putting together acts and different like whole shows that are optimized for video and for mm -hmm. online viewing, which like has not really been a thing in the past in circus. Very, 
we're, we're a little bit behind the dance world in that capacity. Like you see a lot of really cool, like dance concept videos that are very yeah. clearly made to be consumed on YouTube or online. And we didn't really have that in circus until COVID. So it's sad, but it's definitely cool to see the ways in which the art is growing online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And has it, has it affected the number of patients you're seeing, or it sounds like you've got a lot of people like lined up for this online program is, I mean, is it push more people to, you know, now finally fix the problem that's been bothering them or, you know, something different? Yeah. So actually I am not doing telehealth anymore. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing one-on-one appointments. So I'm really just exclusively focused on the um, online education, building different courses and curriculum. I've been doing like, there are a bunch of, um, like workshops and symposia online for Mm -hmm. circus artists. So I've been doing a lot of lectures and seminars for that. Um, But yeah, actually it was really interesting. Like when everything happened, I was like, oh my gosh, is this, like my business is already only online. Now all of my, basically like my main demographic is out of work. So Mm -hmm. I was really curious how that would affect my company. And it really hasn't seemed to affect the, at least the, amount of students that are seeking out online education right now. So it was definitely very helpful that I had already had my business up and running online and I already knew how to deal with online work and online students before this happened. So it hasn't affected me a whole lot, at least up until now, knock on wood. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when did you stop seeing people like for one-on-one like telehealth or, you know, coaching type of stuff? Yeah, I slowly, so I guess about a year and a half ago when I moved away from San Francisco, Mm -hmm. um, I was at a point in my career where, you know, everything was was mostly online. I was still, I was working with patients in my clinic, but uh, I had really switched my focus to my training and performing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of hit a point where I was like, you know, if I wanted to, I could just work online and, you know, I'm, I would love to see what my life would be like if I did switch my focus more to just performing and training. Um, so I, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I will give myself one year to see what it's like if I like it. And so I moved from San Francisco to San Diego to train with a coach down there for a couple months and then mm-hmm. moved to Montreal. And my plan was to only do that for a year and to keep working online as I did that, but with like, um, at less of a volume. Um, so yeah, I, I did that, I guess a year and a half ago and I, again, really am loving it and don't necessarily want to, or feel a need to go back to working in a clinic or doing one-on-one telehealth. I I definitely make, you know, exceptions for that rule and Mm -hmm. will end up seeing people on online. But for the most part, I, I really am happy with stepping into more of an educator role versus one-on-one practitioner. Yeah, very cool. Was there something specific brought you to Montreal? Was it another training opportunity or just like you wanted to live there or something? Yeah, so Montreal is kind of like the circus capital of the world. It's where Cirque du Soleil started and um, all of the major circus companies are here. So, you know, additionally, all of the coaches for all of the great companies are here. So I wanted to, there was one, uh, there were a few specific coaches that I wanted to work with here and I initially came came here uh, summer last year and was planning to just stay here through the summer and see how I liked it and then kind of figure out what was next. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. The circus community here is great. And the circus world is so small that, I mean, I knew so many people here before I even moved. And so many of my good friends were here or visited often. So right. it was really, that was the, the big draw. And I still cool. really love it. And it's, Cost of living is way more reasonable than in San Francisco. So, right. Yeah. Was there like a specific visa or anything that you needed to move there? Or you just. So for U.S. citizens, you can mm-hmm. come to Canada for six months at a time without mm-hmm. having to have any specific visa. So I have just been doing that. And I also have applied for permanent residency, which is like the green card for Canada. Yeah. Um, and I should he- like I should have heard a couple weeks ago. Everything is done and processed online. So right. they're delayed with all the COVID um, pandemic craziness. But once I have that, then I'll be able to um, have Canadian health insurance and work based out of Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, so for now it's, it's nice and very easy with online work because that's within all of the 
legalities of living in Canada, but having a US operated business. Right. So I'm able to do that, but I can't, if I wanted to, I wouldn't be able to treat in person here. Right. Gotcha. That's awesome. Well, Jen, what's next for you? Like what's your five, do you have like a five year, 10 year goal kind of thing? You know, do you know what, where you're heading? I, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I think I've never been one for super long-term planning just mm-hmm. because it seems like every time I do that, something else comes up that derails it, but is a much cooler opportunity. So yeah. um, I definitely want to continue growing everything I've been doing online with the work I've done with the MyFlex program and expanding to having more coaches um, on board. And I, I think I, I also recently decided that I want to start working more with physical therapists and healthcare providers in like a continuing education capacity with how to treat this demographic. Because again, it's just, there's such a lack of healthcare providers that know what to do with circus artists. And Mm -hmm. it's also recreationally, especially in the U S becoming way more popular for people to, you know, go to their aerial silks classes after work or go to their acrobatics classes. It's, It's much more popular. And so I was like, well, this seems like it could be an interesting next step to, work with more PTs and that capacity. So that's, that's probably the the main few things that I'll be working on in the, the next few years. Awesome. Do you have like, like, are people already asking you like, Hey, Jen, you know, how do I learn more? Or, you know, is there, I've got an ad, you know, I've got someone doing this, like, what do I do? Is that something that like you're hearing a lot more of now than a few years ago? Um, from like the physical therapist. Yeah, from other physical therapists, even strength coaches and people. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've, and I've, that's one of the reasons that I'm also going to start moving in that direction is I've had so many providers contact me on Instagram or through email over the past few years being like, hey, do you have any continuing ed courses? Mm-hmm. Like I've worked with a few of these type, this type of artists and I want to learn more and there aren't any resources. So like, do you have anything? And right. my answer has always been like, no, not yet. Maybe someday. And and now I'm finally going to start moving in that direction. So yeah, that's awesome. Is there like one, uh, do you have like a party trick or PT party, you know, like I call it like PT party tricks, right? Like, like one thing that if someone has, uh, you know, like a, a circus um, performer mm-hmm. as a patient who's struggling with one of the common things, is there like a, a really easy, good clinical tidbit you can you share, share with us? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it would be kind of a two-part thing. So first, circus artists are some of the best and most creative compensators of any athlete I've ever worked with. So Mm -hmm. if there is a way for them to cheat through a movement, they will do it and they will find it and they will lean into it. So that manifests mostly in um, using their lumbar spinal muscles for almost everything. So for example, like um, I guess the the one assessment and treatment tip that I would give is to assess uh, peripheral joint strength and mobility in a position where they can't compensate with their lumbar spine. So for me, that often looks like putting them in a child's pose. If I'm looking at their overhead mobility, putting them in a child's pose and then having, seeing if they can lift one arm off the ground with a straight elbow. And most of the aerialists that I work with can't do that day one. And you can do the same thing for hip extension with one leg behind them and one leg tucked under in child's pose. So that's, that tells you a ton about their, um, their ability to create this total composite extension throughout their body, which we need a lot in circus Mm -hmm. with their shoulder and their hips, which many artists just can't do. So, so yeah, just get creative with how you assess them. Yeah. I'm laughing because I can't even do that. (laughs) I'm like, Oh God, it won't move. Um, but, uh, I'm not as flexible as most circus artists anyways, (laughs) Um, but I can feed myself. My muscles aren't so big that I can't eat. Um, (laughs) what, um, that's awesome. So if there's one thing that, uh, you think might be helpful for our listeners um, to know about, uh, like, what is what you've done with growing your business or your career or anything like that? Is there, um, is there something else you'd like to share or maybe I didn't ask you with a question, you know, you think would be helpful? Yeah, I guess I, I think especially with COVID, I've seen a lot of clinicians lean more into the online telehealth kind of online education side of things. And, you know, most people like the first thing that they will ask or wonder is how do I get a bigger following online? How do I make money online? And I think the thing that I see lacking the most is just like a genuine connection with the 
target demographic that you're working mm -hmm. with. So like for me, in retrospect, one of the things that I did really well that I didn't even know I was doing was kind of what we talked about at the beginning with, um, you know, I, I really integrated myself into the community and I, in doing that and just being a student of that world, I gained their trust much quicker than I would have if I was just kind of an outsider looking in. So I would say just, you know, genuinely try to develop connections with the people in the, you know, in whatever demographic or population you're working with um, and connect with them and then see what is missing in that sport or in that realm of movements and then see, think about how your background and your education and knowledge can benefit them and do that. So I think that would be the biggest tip that I have for, awesome. for people right now. Awesome. Was there like one uh, like topic or type of post that you put up on Instagram at some point that like blew up and you're like, holy cow, like I can't believe that like everyone liked that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I last year I started incorporating the very clickbaity instead of this, try this post mm -hmm. with like very simple graphics, very like clean, you know, against a white wall with text that is very simple yeah. and um, that type of thing that's like really easy to digest and look at and like immediately understand is really helpful. I think that it's easy for us to get very wordy in the type of advice we give. So mm -hmm. like keep it simple. A little bit of clickbaity is okay. If the content is good, like that works really well. That yeah. always, those types of posts always have really high visibility. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a huge tip. That's really important. It's like, we we're so um, smart. We know so much. We try to include too many things and really people just yeah. need like that one, like clear tip that they're not getting from anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jen, if someone wants to um, find you online, what's the best place for them to go and where do they find you? Definitely. Um, Instagram is definitely where I spend most of my time online. I'm circ underscore physio on Instagram. And then my website is circphysio.com. So that has contact form and all the other information there. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. It's great getting to know you and catch back up with you. Um, if you guys are listening to this show, um, would love it if you would, you know, screenshot this, give us a great review and just, you know, shout us out on Instagram with Instagram story, tag me, tag Jen, we'll reshare it, but we'd love to know what your big takeaway was and uh, share this with a friend and um, go out and keep people moving. Hey, what's up, it's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you wanna learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint. Because I wanna get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I wanna give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.